You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. Uh, my name is Christopher Harris. I'm joined on the panel today with Kartik Krishnayar. Kartik, it just seems so surreal to s- discuss this, but this is episode 1,400. Uh, it's, it's, it's a huge number and it's, it's taken us uh, 16 years to get here. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's crazy when you think about it, 1,400. Uh, what are your thoughts when, when people say 1,400 episodes? Wow, I mean, there is no real historic precedent for it because we were one of the first uh, major soccer podcasts and really the only one of those independent podcasts that began when podcasts first became a thing and people were getting iPods and getting other uh, MP3 type players to listen to podcasts on. Remember, podcasts originally were these kind of things that you would have to download. You'd have to go through some sort of extensive process to download them onto your MP3 device. Uh, we're the only independent soccer podcast that I know of that was around in 2006 that is still around. And uh, so the enormity of that, and obviously we've gone through format changes. I know some listeners will point that out, multiple format changes. But the enormity of that is uh, is just – it's hard to put into context. And, and we're still here. We're, we're going strong maybe stronger than ever. So uh, it, it's, uh, it's really uh, quite an accomplishment for everybody who's been involved with World Soccer Talk and, and our podcast, which include a number of people who uh, maybe people who are newer listeners don't realize were associated with our podcast in the early days who've gone on to, uh, to careers outside of World Soccer Talk. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because Carl uh, Fansler, who's our other host, who does the, the Monday episode, usually interviews or big topic discussions, uh, he joined World Soccer Talk back in September. And he said to me, he was going through some of the old podcast episodes, and he's like, oh, my gosh, Lawrence McKenna was part of World Soccer Talk. And I was like, yeah, he was he, he kind of basically uh, started with World Soccer Talk and was doing the podcast and that evolved into doing a lot of video work. Uh, and oftentimes we do some video documentaries with him going to Milan or different places in Europe. He did some interviews for us uh, on video. And that um, basically through that, he was able to establish a really good uh, networks and contacts with people in London that were doing podcasts. And, and they were doing like the Football Ramble, for example. Um, they were good friends with them. 
and and that evolved from there. And that's just one person out of many that we've had in the past that have gone on to e- even bigger and better things. But it's interesting too, Kartik, because when you think about podcasts in general, when we started this podcast in 2006, the reason we did it at that point really was because if you wanted to talk about soccer uh, from from a fan's point of view, this that was the only outlet because at that time there was Fox Soccer Channel, um, which was showing all the games, but they, they didn't really have any kind of fan user-generated content or kind of fan voice uh, there. And the closest they got to that was probably Fox Football Phone-In, where people would call in with questions or their uh, input or or kind of uh, ranting and raving about about, the, about Liverpool or whoever it may be. And uh, it's interesting how podcasts in general have evolved from, from that early days, 2006 or so, to now where it's mainstream. You've got uh, Hulu, with Steve Martin and Martin Short having a series, uh, Only Murders in the Building, which was fantastic, uh, focused on podcasts and how they were generating podcasts and trying to solve this murder. You had, of course, the serial podcast that was very successful a few years ago. Uh, podcasts are mainstream. Even the word podcast, though, when you think about it, who listens to podcasts now on an iPod? That goes to show how old uh, podcasts are. Uh what, what, what's your what's what's been your experience, Kartik, with podcasts in general? Have have your habits changed, or do you listen to podcasts as much as you did before uh, than in the past? Yeah, so it's interesting. I do, but there was a huge dip in the middle. So two thousand six, two thousand seven, uh, when we started. I was listening to podcasts constantly, downloading them in kind of a a cumbersome way to my MP3 player. I don't think I actually had an iPod until uh, 2007 or 2008, so I had other company MP3 players. So you would have to go through sort of hoops to download it into iTunes and then um, convert it, all of that stuff. So I was listening to a ton of podcasts in 2007, 2008, 2009, really dropped off in my podcast listening until – 2016 or 2017, I would say, and have been listening to podcasts constantly, probably more than ever since then. But there was a gap in the middle. And I think there was generally a gap in the middle with podcasts also where people were were, were returning to more traditional media or watching videos instead, right? There was that, that gap. And then I think when Apple... Uh, did their own podcast app, and you and and Spotify had a lot to do with the uh, regrowth of podcasts. Uh, and then these other very good podcast apps came out. I, I happen to use Overcast; that's the podcast app I prefer. But I know uh, others who, who prefer Apple or prefer Spotify, whoever. Um, that uh, that really kind of uh, uh, stimulated another growth in in podcast, where I'm listening to podcasts constantly, and uh, in fact now uh, dis- discovered probably three or four years ago, the genre of history podcasts. I think it was 2018 or so I discovered that and have been hooked on historical podcasts, which I guess had been in the ether since 2007, 2008, and and I had just never really discovered them. So uh, it's funny. Podcasts have gone through these ebbs and flows too, and it's not like any other medium. I mean, we know movies. uh, Hollywood took a real hit once television became very mainstream in the 1950s and uh, bounced back with uh, a vengeance in the 1960s, right? So uh, new technology becomes old technology, becomes kind of stale at, at times, and then reinvigorates itself. And I think podcasts have gone through very much the same Yeah, so we will get to the news in a, sec- in a, sec- a second. But uh, it, it is one of those things that's interesting for me, at least personally, is if I'm going on a road trip and I switch on the radio, 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Like I'm going from, and it, it seems to be sometimes like, I mean, 10 minutes before the hour, you're, I'm kind of flipping, hitting the tune button to go through different stations. And sometimes you've got, got it where every single radio station's on a commercial break. And I'm like, oh, come on. So then I go to a podcast and then, and then for me, you know I mean, I can pick and choose what I want to uh, listen to, whether it's I mean, music or I mean, podcasts, whatever it may be. And, uh, really enjoy it i mean to me it's it's changed the the, the listening experience uh and it's very much like uh I, I guess one of the advantages of the internet really is with the with the podcast in general now speaking of podcasts kartik uh let's talk about this week's show so i know you were traveling last weekend and we're not going to go into a lot of detail about this but it was to me one of the most entertaining premier league weekends there were some really really amazing goals scored there were some good games and because of the winter olympics this was probably to me at least personally one of the worst weekends of uh, nbc's coverage of the premier league in a long time i can't even remember how long um i mean one example was just for the man city spurs game massive game there was no pre-game there's no pre-game show so uh at 12 o'clock the um Crystal Palace Chelsea game had ended. That coverage had ended at twelve, so I was expecting from twelve to twelve thirty, either on Peacock or on NBC, uh, all USA to have thirty minutes of pregame. Like, hey, what a game that was! Here's our pregame coverage for Man City Spurs. And instead, on NBC, there was an infomercial. Uh, USA, I'm sure, had the Olympics. Although I don't think there was anything live happening at that time. And Peacock had nothing, and and, and Arlo and uh, Lee Dixon and Graham Lasso were in the Sky Sports studio in London, and they could have easily done. I would think I would, they could have easily done thirty minutes of of pregame uh, on Peacock. There was nothing. It was really strange. And at twelve thirty, as soon as the game kicked off, it was Arlo White talking for the first ten or fifteen seconds. And then when and the game had already kicked off, and then went right into uh, Peter Drury and, and Jim Beglin doing the uh, the actual commentary. Yeah, thank God the Winter Olympics is over. Hopefully, normal service will resume this week. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. So, Kartik, one of the things I want to talk to you about though too is um, Liverpool, of course, won midweek, and now that race for the Premier League at the top. Uh, What's your thoughts on this? I mean, you're a Man City fan. Are you feeling confident that City is still going to go ahead and, and win the title based on what the team's doing right now? I think it's more based on what Liverpool's doing. I mean, Liverpool have gone out and signed a really high-end attacker during the uh, the winter window. Man City's only uh, move on that front was to, to move for, for Aaron Torres, who could have helped this team uh, out to Barcelona. Sold them at a massive profit. Not, not, not complaining about that from a business perspective. But uh, Man City do not have very much depth. As you saw in this Spurs match, I know there's this narrative, although I guess it's kind of changing. I think people are kind of wising up to it, that City has all this money and they have such a deep team. As you saw, Guardiola used one sub against Spurs while chasing the game. One sub. There's not even enough guys on the bench, I think, really to, to change things up during a match anymore. Now, once uh, Jack Grealish gets his uh, head out of his rear end uh, and maybe starts behaving like a professional uh, and, 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 and Foden cuts out some of the, the extracurricular stuff too, maybe then that adds some layers of depth to, to you. Maybe uh, uh, Cole Palmer is a youngster who's been injured who maybe could help. But, yeah, I'm not feeling very confident, and it's not, it's not any sort of uh, indictment of how 
City have played. Uh, I think they've played perfectly fine. I think that they've got... Uh, They've got 14 or 15 guys that are really high level, but you also have an issue where you don't have a number nine. You don't have really an out-and-out goal scorer in the team. Let's be honest about it. You're you're relying on goals from midfield, which you get a lot of, which, by the way, City get a lot more of than Liverpool. So if, if there's one concern I would have about Liverpool is that they don't really have a goal-scoring midfielder, and that was the same concern I had about them last season, uh, that they that, especially now with Vinaldum having moved on, they... They get some goals, like Fabinho got a goal recently from midfield. So they, 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 they and Henderson can score from midfield, but they don't have uh, the Gundawan, De Bruyne, Bernardo type uh, type character um, in midfield. You saw this week Pep made the change, put uh, puts Bernardo up top against Spurs. That didn't work, right? That took him out of his game. He got less touches than he's used to getting, and that affected the way City played. So there were limited options up top for Manchester City. Uh, I'm not crying poverty at all. Obviously, City has had the money to spend. They've, they've chosen not to. Uh, uh, Pep likes a certain type of player. He likes a player that will fit his system. And so there's some limitations to that. That having been said, it feels like Liverpool might be going too good, that there might be some sort of hiccup coming. Uh, I know they have a match. They still have to go to the Emirates. That's going to be a very difficult match. Um, and uh, City have two really tough matches left, one against Liverpool at the Etihad, the other against, uh, against uh, Manchester United at the Etihad, uh, where the, over the course of the last decade, Manchester City has played worse against United at home than they have at Old Trafford. Much worse. Compare the records. You, you'd probably be shocked mm-hmm. if you're not aware of that. City generally play better uh, on United's home ground versus United than at home. So... Uh, there's causes for concern. It is a real title race. Uh, the thing that I think is most uh, uh, glaring to me, though, is this is the title race I predicted. I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I said before the season Liverpool would win the title. I thought City would run them close. Uh, it's actually the reverse in the table now, right? City's ahead and, and Liverpool running them close. And that Chelsea and United, for all their spending, to me, were unsettled squads without a f- clear uh, uh, style of play without any sort of clear continuity, and that has happened. Chelsea way back, United even further back. So I'm actually not surprised by the season, but I think it's shocked a lot of people, uh, particularly Chelsea with their heavy spending, that they're uh, not able to finish higher than third in the league at any point in the last five years. And that's, uh, that's something, again, I'm not surprised about, but I know the analysts really are. So Kartik, I mean, the the title race in the Premier League, I think, is really interesting. But to me, actually, me personally, as a neutral, uh, not supporting any club in the uh, the Premier League, the relegation race is the one that I think is going to come right down to the wire. Um, it's interesting because you look at some of these clubs, and many of them have been on a good run, run of form. Norwich has picked up some points. Watford's been... They did get one win, but uh, they're still suffering there. But Burnley has won a couple of games. Newcastle's on a run. Everton is dropping, except for they did get one win recently. Leeds is plummeting. Brentford, Brentford's plummeting. So out of those, like basically seven or eight clubs, um, even Aston Villa, Aston Villa's in thirteenth spot. I mean, so, so out of those, I mean, if you had to make a prediction, I mean, I mean, who do you think would be going down out of those? Well, I've said all season long I thought Burnley would stay up, and I'm sticking with that. I know that that prediction has looked suspect at times. I even stuck with that uh, during the transfer window, saying, "Look, I, they got Veghorst, who to me is a better signing than any signing Newcastle made." Uh, I thought Newcastle would go down even with those signings, but I have to say they've. Uh, 
they've been better than I expected. So so I think they might stay up now. I'm going to say they're going to stay up. I'm saying sticking with my preseason and your your long prediction that uh, Burnley would stay up. I have unlimited faith in Sean Dyche as an organizer, as a manager. I think they have a veteran squad that's been through this sort of fight before. I think them keeping Tarkowski to me is like a new signing in a way, um, even though he will be gone in the summer because that I assumed he would get sold either in the summer or January window, and now they're picking up the results I've expected them to pick up. I'm not surprised they beat Spurs. I'm not surprised they picked up some other, uh, beat Brighton, some other results. Um, so who does that leave? That leaves at Norwich, who I think will go down. Dean Smith's done a great job, but they don't have enough quality. Um, similar to what I said on TalkSport last night. I was on TalkSport last night talking the championship, as I often am, and uh, host Paul Ross asked me about Peterborough, and I said, look, Dave, Darren Ferguson's done everything he could. It's very similar to Norwich in the Premier League, but they just don't have enough quality. So that's I'm Norwich is going to go down. Ugh, Watford, it's tough because they have Roy Hodgson now and they have three really good attacking players. But the rest of the team is kind of kind of suspect, right? And they can leak goals. So maybe they go down just because there's so many other good squads. And then I'm going to say Leeds. Um, I, I, I have to uh, give our, a hat tip to... Uh, um, our friend Jonathan Starling, who used to be on this podcast in one of its previous iterations, who before the season told me Leeds would go down, and I told him no way. And he said, no, it's a second-year syndrome. Uh, Bielsa wants guys who play his way. He hasn't really signed anyone that's going to influence things. Uh, we didn't expect Bamford to be out for this length of time, but I think mm-hmm. Leeds will be the third team. It could be Everton. So I, I would put um, – I would say Everton have a better shot of going down than Burnley – or Newcastle. Maybe I'm going to regret saying that, but I still am not sure the culture is right at Everton, and they have players. This is the this is the important thing about Everton, where maybe actually Leeds have an edge on Everton. Leeds have had a lot of guys who've been in the championship who fought to get promoted. Everton has a group of players who've largely played for larger clubs, right, bigger clubs, have never been through anything remotely resembling a relegation fight, most of them. So... Uh, Richarlison might be an exception. Although the years, the couple of years Richarlison was at Watford were the years they weren't fighting relegation. So actually, I, I stand by that. So I think Everton, from a mental and psychological standpoint, and also having a manager who's never been through that, also, they might be at a disadvantage. But I'm still going to say Leeds go down instead of Everton. But I'm giving my case as to why I think Everton might very well get sucked in and go down. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, we're talking about these teams here. There's about seven teams. Uh, if you include Villa in that, that's eight. Uh, I mean, a little bit of a ways off, but not that far uh, uh, away from the, the danger zone. And then even Leicester. I mean, Leicester could oh, get yeah. pulled, pulled into it, right? In terms oh, of the, yeah. their form. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Chris, that's a one thing to watch. I know when I threw that out on Twitter earlier in the week, people said, oh, they have 27 points. They won't go down. But think about this. Um, Burnley and Newcastle are both coming good at the right time. So they both might pick up 10, 15 more points. It's very possible. Then you've got Leicester, who finished the last two seasons really poorly. We know that uh, two seasons ago, they fell from second to fifth. Last season, they finished from, f- fell from third to fifth. They have players, again, who have not been through a relegation fight. This isn't the same Leicester of 2016. A uh, couple guys, Albrighton and, uh, and Vardy, are left from the 15 team that fought relegation. And they're the two guys, two key guys left from the cha- uh, title-winning team. Team in sixteen, uh, I'm 
I, I think the people who push back on me probably are right. They get seven to ten more points and are safe, but it's like I don't know because they, they if you if you take all the teams you discussed, Villa, Everton, uh, maybe with the exception of Leeds, Villa, Everton, Newcastle, Watford, Norwich, um, Burnley. I throw Leicester in there. Leicester is probably the worst team on form of those teams, at least. And and they have had a horrible tendency this year, Chris, to ship goals late, which is very uncharacteristic of a Rodgers team. I, I would love to see a table for how many points they've dropped from winning or, or, or uh, uh, drawing positions this season. I, I bet it's the most in the league. It feels mm-hmm. like it's the most in the league in many, many years, actually. So uh, there is something not right with Leicester. And... Uh, Maybe all these trips to Europa League and Thursday nights uh, the last few seasons have finally taken a toll on them. But, yeah, so uh, that's a good shout. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Leicester because I am yeah. concerned about them. Plus, plus injuries too. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, uh, the injuries. That's what killed infected. them the last two years. And they would have been in the Champions League if it wasn't for injuries. And that's another issue, um, broader topic, maybe not for today, but I, wanted, I would love to address at some point is why, do, why has Rodgers – had a cl- club the last three years that have had a disproportionate number of injuries compared to the rest of the league. Is there something in his training? Is there something in the way Lester plays? Or is it just bad luck? Because uh, mm-hmm. this is the third straight year Lester have had uh, a disproportionate number of injuries. I mean, heck, last season, people who follow me on Twitter know this and, and, uh, um, and would go back and forth with me, particularly Liverpool fans, about it, that I thought Lester coming into the season were almost as good as City or Liverpool. But they had so many injuries, right? If you took the table in just in matches where Vardy, uh, Vardy, Tailmans, and Ndidi all played, they were as good as Man City who won, who won the league. Um, but they have had so many injuries for so many successive seasons. I'm really concerned about maybe it's something with the manager himself. Which uh, Well, you had him at Swansea. Did you guys have a lot of injuries then like this? Not that I remember. You mean so? Not that I remember. No, no, no. But but then again, it, it's you mean playing in the championship versus playing in the Premier League. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Rogers was was in charge of Swansea in the early days of uh, the Premier League when Swansea were there. But uh, no, no. So it, maybe maybe it's something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's Leicester maybe, itself. Maybe it's those players are injury prone. That could perhaps. Be Perhaps, but yeah, there you go, Kartik. So you mentioned like nine different teams that have the possibility of getting uh, kind of sucked into that relegation. Um, the two that I'm pretty confident will get relegated are Brentford, who are on a free fall. Yeah, yeah, and I think Leeds. I mean, I I, I so want Leeds to stay up. But defensively, I mean, we saw that midweek. They're you're, so you're, poor. Yeah, of course, you're right. I'm sorry. I completely forgot Brentford. And I've been saying for a while that I think Brentford might go down. So actually, with that in mind, uh, Watford might get out. If Brentford does go down, if it's Brentford and Leeds, I tend to agree with you on that. Now that I don't know why I blanked out on Brentford. Um, then I think the third team is Norwich. Dean Smith, again, has done a great job, but uh, they don't have much quality. Same as my Peterborough an- analogy in, in the championship. Uh, it would be Watford who gets out. And look, I don't think Roy Hodgson would have taken this job if he didn't think he could get Watford out of it. Why would he come out of retirement? Uh, I mean, if, and also, if he was willing to come out of retirement, why didn't Everton contact him? That's a whole other issue. But, um, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Brentford, uh, and Brentford, by the way, have played, I think, three or four more games than Burnley, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I, have to, I don't have the table in front of me. But yeah, three Burn- more games. Three yeah. more games. Wow. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah they're big, in trouble. Yeah, yeah. And then the third team. So I think Brentford leads... Um, and then the third team, I so want Norwich. To, I think I think Norwich has the potential of getting out of this mess. Um, but if Norwich gets out of this mess, then 
then it might be Everton that, that, yeah. that gets. So you imagine Everton leads and Brentford going down. It would just be, I mean, complete disaster. So for those who don't know, Everton have been in the top flight longer consecutively than any other club in England other than Arsenal. Of course, Arsenal is one of the handful of clubs in, in Europe that have never been relegated from the top top flight. So um, Everton have the second longest top flight run currently, which is at about 70 years, 1955. Let me do quick math. Uh, what is that? 67 years or so consecutively in the top flight. Uh, and yep. uh, they have spent the most seasons overall in the top flight in England. But of course, they're an older club than Arsenal. But they are. Uh, they have been in the top flight more consecutive seasons than any of the so-called big six other than Arsenal, more than Liverpool, their local rivals, uh, who were promoted under Bill Shankly a little later, a couple years after Everton came back up for the last time, for the most recent time, uh, more than United, who obviously got relegated in the 1970s. Uh, Chelsea in the 80s got relegated multiple times. So Man Man City in the 90s got relegated multiple times. So uh, you have a really unprecedented situation with Everton Football Club and uh, I tend to think now, Chris, that this is maybe Everton's sort of natural level and the David Moyes years just had Everton punching above their weight. That in the modern Premier League, maybe Everton is not as big a club as we thought it was. Uh, and that basically they had just a brilliant manager who had them finishing fifth and sixth in the league every year when uh, another manager there. I mean, Walter Smith almost did get them relegated. Right. So another manager uh, might have gotten them relegated. Yeah, that that one is a tricky one though, Kartik, because you mean you mean what do you base uh, a Premier League club on? You mean do you base it on the stadium, the history, the facilities? Uh, you mean because there's a lot of teams that definitely punch above their weight. There's a lot of teams that punch below their weight. But Everton, I mean, it, 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 if you look historically speaking, Everton should be in, in the top five yeah. uh, British teams. They were one of the big five when the Premier League began, which is another mm-hmm. thing. I did a space on this a couple of weeks ago and found that, uh, unfortunately, I did a Twitter space. And if it, you're not talking about Manchester United, no one shows up. So <laughs> like 15 people show up. But we talked about it and we had some Everton fans on there. And we talked about that, that, look, they were a big five club. They were the other big club, that, really, in the 1980s, outside of Liverpool and Arsenal. And Arsenal is the only English club that have been little history lesson here. Arsenal are the only English club that's been good in every era since they started. So as big as we think Man United and Liverpool have been, they have had dips. Um, So in the 1980s, outside of Liverpool, who were the best club in Europe at the time, and Arsenal, who have been good in every era, Everton was that third team. Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty recently, relatively speaking, that's coming into the Premier League era. They were the other big club. They're bigger historically than Aston Villa, which we think of as a, as a huge club. And they're much bigger historically uh, than even Leeds, who we think of as a massive club. So uh, it would be kind of unprecedented. That having been said, I guess they haven't had the recent success or the breakthrough kind of iconic moments for a lot of newer fans who look back at history that Villa and Leeds have had, those two clubs I mentioned. So we tend to think of Leeds as a bigger club than Everton in this era. We tend to think of Villa as a bigger club than Everton, but they're really not historically. I mean, Leeds has been a yo-yo club for much of its history. Aston Villa, despite winning the European Cup in 1982 and being uh, the the biggest club in Birmingham, which is one of the largest cities in the country, um, has has spent much of its history in, in, uh, in the second division. Uh, Everton has not. Uh, if again, if you look historically, just a consistency in the top flight, Chris, uh, Everton would be not only top five as you said, they're top two with Arsenal. It's them and Arsenal. 
So we will talk about some other topics other than the Premier League in this podcast. So, so listeners, if you're thinking, okay, is this a Premier League podcast? Uh, <laughs> it, but, but it's interesting too because, like this week, Kartik, we've had Copa Libertadores, uh, Concacaf Champions I, League, I, UEFA sorry, Champions League. Listeners, and I, I mean, know we've I've had the She Believes Cup, as, uh, and even the though these all these different tournaments and competitions are happening, all these different things, uh, and of course watch leagues from around the world, watch, uh, it keeps on coming back to the Premier League in terms of. I mean, how right now it is entertaining. It is so much to talk about economics. What's happened in the last five to seven years in the sport? Maybe even predates that, but really kicking in the last five to seven years. It's the elite competition. I'm sorry. And it's, it's, uh, Chris, we're having this long conversation. Uh, three, four years ago, I could have had this same sort of in depth conversation about other leagues in Europe. Uh, now it's like, I, I admit, my viewing habits have changed because of the Premier League hegemony. I'm not missing any matches. I've, I mentioned earlier in the season, uh, this week I missed matches because I was traveling, but um, earlier in the season, I, and I've been doing it until this past week, going back on Peacock once the matches are available and watching every single match in its entirety from this league, every single match when I'm watching, you know, snippets here and there and maybe one match here and there from other leagues. So I I hate to admit it. My viewing habits have changed because this league has become so much so predominant compared to other leagues. Now, these are all sick. These things are cyclical and there probably will be a cycle where it swings back soon. But for now, because of where the TV money is, uh, my interest in the Premier League is much, much higher than it's ever been, honestly, relative to other leagues. It's interesting, though, Carter, because you mentioned the word cosmopolitan and you could argue that the Premier League itself is very cosmopolitan. You've got two of the best players from the, the, the continent of Africa playing in the Premier League, uh, playing for the same team. You've got players from the South American content, uh, continent. You've got uh, Luis Diaz, who's hit the ground running uh, from Porto to Liverpool, but you mean looking really, really good. You've got some of the best Brazilian players playing in, in, in the, uh, the Premier League. You've got the best American player, arguably, playing uh, in, in England. And you go on and, and go around the world, and you can kind of pick, pick and choose the different continents, and you, you see many of those players playing at the highest level in, in this league. The only, the only uh, exception, I think, would be Eastern Europe, where I think the, the best Eastern European players are in uh, either the Bundesliga or Serie A right. currently. Well, there, there, there are a few in the Premier League, well, especially, but there's still more yeah. in, in Italy and Germany and from that part of the world. Right, I agree with you. But, but then like kind of West Ham United and David Moyes seems to be kind of uh, hell-bent on, on get, picking up a lot of these well, oh, yeah. He's Eastern European them, players. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. that's true. Yeah. And you could argue, actually, uh, maybe I refine that statement. You could argue Suchek in particular. Uh, I know he's not getting the goals this year he's gotten in previous years, but that's not. You have to look at his overall game. You could argue he's the best Eastern European player. Just you know, his overall game. He's he's uh, uh, just an indispensable box to box guy. Yep. central midfielder. And then you got Kai Havertz. I mean, Timo Werner, who's still trying to find his form. But you mean, and you mean so that yeah. But anyway, let, let, let's move on a little bit, Kartik. Let's look at this weekend. What uh, match would you recommend uh, the listeners uh, watch and what, what are you going to be watching uh, looking most, fo- most looking forward to so sentimentally I want to recommend Blackburn QPR which is a huge match in the championship 7.30am ESPN Plus on Saturday the issue is both those teams have hit a, a, a run of bad form uh, a couple of weeks ago it looked like that would be a match to determine automatic promotion instead I think it's a match to stay in the championship playoff picture right both teams I think QPR will make the playoffs but for Blackburn it may be even just to stay in the top six so not recommending that I'm going to rep- rec- recommend Barca Athletic Club on uh, 
uh, ESPN Plus, 3 p.m. on Sunday. This is a, a, a important match, I think, psychologically for Barcelona because they have had such a problem with Bilbao the last couple years, both in the league and in cup competitions. And, and uh, it's kind of become sort of a bogey team for them. And some really high-profile losses or, or, or uh, eliminations at the hands of, of, of Athletic. So uh, that, I think, is a big game psychologically for Barcelona. So this weekend is the opening uh, weekend of Major League Soccer, and I, I, could, I looked through the fixtures and I, I couldn't really find anything that really enthralled me or, or kind of got me like thinking, okay, that's going to be a great match to watch. I think for MLS this season, it's going to be I'm going to be watching a lot of different games, but it's going to be, it's going to be one of those things where it's like, hey, entertain me, show me what you got, and then hopefully I'll. I'll I'll hit some. I'll find some form and find some teams or players that really kind of pull me in. But right now, I I just couldn't see anything anything from this weekend. So my recommended game to watch is actually not a game. It's a uh, a new documentary. I have not seen it yet, but it's called Rooney, and it's available now on Amazon Prime Video. So this is one that was released, I think, a few weeks ago in England. Um, Wayne Rooney kind of talking about uh, his life. Uh, uh, in football and out of football, it, it looks really intriguing. It looks really well done. Um, I think a lot of the reviews in the UK were, were uh, really critically acclaimed. So this one's called Rooney, and it's on Amazon Prime. So I'm, I'm certainly going to be watching it this weekend when I have time. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, this is in response to our discussion last week about Copa Libertadores and um, the Conmebol going ahead and creating a bunch of different packages uh, to put out for bids, uh, including a package that was going to be streaming only, as well as other packages, which would be television too. So Dave Watts says, um, I think being sports isn't the worst, but I continually have issues with their app. I wouldn't cry about Copa Libertadores going somewhere else. And historically speaking, Dave, you're right. I mean, like the Be In Sports Connect app is probably the worst app. It's been broken or hasn't been... It's been clunky. <laughs> That's one of my favorite words. <laughs> for, for years. <laughs> for years. For, for probably a good three years, easily. Maybe even more. So what, what ends up happening is if you want to watch stuff through Be In Sports Connect, which is their, their app, it's, it's much better to watch it through Fubo, Fanatis sometimes, but Fubo would be the place to, where it's integrated directly into the Fubo app, and then you can pick and choose from all the different channels. But that's pretty sad, though, when your app is so clunky or so so. Um, there's been so many issues over the years, but so, so it's funny you use that term, Chris, because on uh, my drive to uh, uh, up the state uh, last week, in addition to listening to podcasts, I talked to a prominent uh, uh, person in one of the big NISA clubs. And that person used that same exact term to tell me why they want Nisa off of, of BN. Their app is, quote, clunky, unquote. That's why I started laughing. That's the operative <laughs> term. And you're not the only one using it. And uh, th- this person was telling me they feel like people are consuming soccer, particularly lower division soccer, through apps now and through mobile devices. And the, the BN app has made it very difficult for uh, this person's club in Nisa to be as seen as, as they think it would be seen. So uh, criticizing the league for doing a deal with Nisa when uh, do, Nisa doing a deal with BN when BN's app is so uh, user unfriendly and clunky to use that person's term that you have also uh, used. If anything could probably best represent BN Sports's current status, I think it's their app. 
which which <laughs> which it's a mess. I mean, and that's the thing that's interesting. The two Kartik is I've heard from a lot of um, listeners and readers from around the world, and in in the different regions in the in the world. They have a different Be In Sports Connect app, and that one runs smoothly. It, it's you can, you can get the games. It's a great experience. But the one that they built for the U.S. market, you mean half the time didn't work. Or if it did work, there'd be error messages. I think for a while they were using Microsoft. Was it Silverlight? Silverlight, yeah, yeah. Which I don't think is even around anymore. But Fox used to use that as well. Yeah, and so so bad. And it's, yeah, even worse than Fox Soccer. <laughs> Plus. Let me ask you this, Chris. This is such an important question. I guess we maybe we've talked about it on the podcast before, but you would have more insight into this than I would. Why is BN so different in the U.S. market than in other markets? Because people do tell do people from Europe, particularly France, tell me great things about BN and their coverage and the way uh, they, they they cover things and the way uh, they produce things. So why is it so bad in this country when it's the same uh, parent organization? Same, same, same network. I, I would say, I mean, my personal take on this would be that they've been mismanaged, that uh, they've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of bad decisions, uh, effectively going uh, to war against uh, Comcast and, and then uh, DirecTV kind of followed suit and said, OK, well, if, if being sports is not going to be on Comcast, then maybe we should pull it off DirecTV. I think they just made a catalog of bad decisions. I mean, this is, I mean, even the app, I mean, the app is a, a good example is this app has been broken or basically non-working in a regular consistent way for years. Um, and everyone knows, okay, stay away from the app. Just don't, don't, don't use it because it's, it's so, so, so bad. And I think the, 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 the fact that that hasn't been fixed after what, probably a good three years of being awful, uh, is a representation of, you mean, they're, they're just disorganized, mismanaged, and not making the right decisions. Uh, Johan says, I mean, Johan says about the Copa Libertadores, he says, I know this is highly unlikely because of who the owner is, but could you see a scenario of Univision acquiring the rights to the Copa Libertadores? And Johan, I think so. I think uh, if you had to look at all the different uh, broadcasters out there, who would be interested, especially with their new streaming service, VIX Plus, which is going to uh, debut at the end of March. Um, from the Spanish language side of the things, Univision should be a slam dunk to get Copa Libertadores because they need content for their streaming service. Uh, they have several, you mean, they have all the, the, the TV channels. This would be a good addition to, uh, you mean, a lot of the Liga Max games they have. The only concern with this is that then they don't have an English language partner. So who gets the English language rights? And, and could that be Paramount Plus, who are not really kind of uh, that concerned about the Spanish language side of the business, as we see with uh, the Champions League? I mean, you mean basically Champions League goes to Univision and then the English language goes to and, Paramount and Plus. And Serie A. I've, I've gotten complaints now from multiple people who listen to this podcast. So. Uh, I, I am paying attention. I've conversed with some of you uh, directly that that uh, CBS has been very slow to uh, to to go to to activate their Spanish language rights for Serie A that they that they gain. So yeah. um, that that's another red flag in terms of CBS's commitment to the uh, Latino or Spanish speaking audience. Yeah, so I, I I could see that Johan, as far as that being what could happen, it's, it could be Univision getting the Spanish language rights. Uh, with a mixture of streaming and television on the Spanish side, and then somebody like Paramount Plus, perhaps, or, or maybe Warner Media, 
um, that would go for the uh, TV slash uh, streaming service on the English language side. Next up is TK. TK wants to talk about away goals, the away goals rule. TK says, I know this wasn't discussed, but the away goals rule being abolished is interesting from the TV streaming viewership perspective. There is a debate about the fairness of it and the style of play. I don't think this has anything to do with the decision decision to change it. It was about keeping viewers watching and anticipating that the next goal changes the immediate live result. My hypothesis would be that people are prone to turn off or fast forward the game more often when there is a greater than one goal lead. Hmm. That, that that's that's interesting. That that's an interesting take that I I haven't seen or heard or read. Kartik, what do you think? Do you think there's anything anything to this? Yeah, I um I want to wait for more data on the away goals rule and how it's affecting uh, affecting viewership and uh, uh, um play. But it's um you know it's 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 very weird. It's a rule I hated. I thought it was one of the dumbest rules in any sport. The away goals rule. Uh, for for years and, and effectively skewed results and 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 gave uh, some goals double value. I mean, I think of even the just most prominently maybe the Iniesta goal against Chelsea in in two thousand nine in the match which we remember from Overboo, right? The official um, that Chelsea felt they should have had four penalties, but that 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 ninety plus three minute away goal had an outweighed uh, impact on on the result. But now that the away goals are gone, I think maybe uh, tactically it's easier just to kind of uh, uh, sit back for for the away team in, in opening legs, and the the feeling is nil nil is a good result. Now, to be honest with you, that had been kind of a uh, the the mentality of many managers the last few years, like that nil nil or one one is a good result in the first leg, uh, and even home teams had felt like nil nil is a good result uh, in the first leg, and then let's go and go get a one one away, and then we can advance. So maybe it'll it, it will encourage more attacking play from the home teams, but um, I don't know. I mean, it it, it could affect uh, viewership. Because that that away goal, I guess, was something that you would look for as a viewer, right? That mm-hmm. was something you would wait for, even if there were a two or three goal lead, because that away goal might be um, wait is effectively weighted more, right? In in uh, two leg tie, now that's gone, so I can see how it would affect streaming. However, I'm a person who embraced getting rid of it. I thought I just have thought it's an awful rule for years, and and have felt that it penalizes teams that are that are well organized and defensive, which uh, we all like good attacking football. Uh, but I still don't think that you should rig the rules. This is my big complaint about American sport, sports. They keep rigging the rules in American score, uh, sports, uh, American football in particular, but also to a certain extent in, in basketball to uh, to prohibit defensive play or to or to uh, to make it harder for defenders to defend and uh, easier to to encourage scoring. And soccer has never been like that, uh, 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 other than this away goals rule, which uh, now that it's gone. I think it, it is fair. You know, we don't we don't have as many nil nil games as we did twenty thirty years ago, and in, in an era also where you give three points for a win, I think there's been enough done to encourage attacking play that you don't need that that rule that I think is very punitive towards teams that may be more defensive. 
I think one of the things, though, too, Kartik, is for uh, new fans, so new soccer fans or people just watching soccer for the first time and watching the Champions League, and, and this could be this could, could be globally, and somebody trying to, they're watching a game and saying, okay, what's the score? And then you have to explain, you mean, in previous seasons with the away goals, what that meant. It was a little bit confusing. You mean, it was like, okay, what? Like, so if he score an away goal, that, that kind of uh, carries more weight. So, so I think in some ways it simplifies things. You know I mean, and and then the other thing though too is I agree with you too in terms of the data point of view. It's too early, and I think people were overreacting, especially after that PSG Real Madrid uh, game that ended. Well, it looked like it was going to end nil nil. Looked like Real Madrid was uh, kind of just playing uh, to go ahead and just trying to get a nil nil, and, and then PSG wins it at the end. But I think at the same time that game was going on, it was uh, sporting against Man City uh, in Portugal, and Man City was winning what five five nil. So. I think it's too early to kind of say that the away goals rule is a positive or a negative in terms of how the results are happening and the games are happening. <clears throat> but to, to TK's, uh, TK's point, I think it does in some way um, probably encourage viewers to stick with the game it, where there is no away goals rule, where it could something you know, crazy could happen at the end of the game that, that could uh, turn the game uh, upside down. Um, and and TV viewers always want to have people, you mean, uh, stuck to the game, watching it from you mean minute zero all the way through to minute ninety. Um, so yeah, it could be it could be TK, but we'll have to wait and see kind of uh, what happens in the the coming months or, or years to see really kind of what the effect is. So in regards to streaming, we had a really good conversation last week in, on the podcast about all our preferences or kind of. Um, intricacies about uh, the different streaming services and what we liked and what didn't like. Uh, Loco Footy says, um, excellent, VIX, ESPN Plus and Paramount Plus are going to go hard at this. Bye-bye being sports. Uh, I'm hoping that Fubo keeps their hands off other uh, soccer rights. ESPN and Univision would probably look to grab both uh, pay streaming packages to keep the exclusivity. Uh, VIX can be a huge player if they really want to. Ra says, uh, Paramount Plus will get a dedicated sports section soon. How do I know this? I participate in their Paramount Insiders Market Research Platform, uh, which I view as a more productive way to push my agenda. (laughs) Full DVR controls and replays immediately after final whistle. Anyway, they recently requested feedback on their app redesign. All the concepts that they asked to evaluate had a dedicated sports section, and they already have a logo for it. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. That's great news. And keep doing that good work. You're, you're doing uh, the work for all of us, uh, participating in, in that Market Insiders research platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's great to know. And it's a good head, heads up for, uh, for myself and other listeners, too, that uh, those things look like they're, they're going to be coming soon. At least, at least the new logo and a dedicated sports section and, and then maybe some of those other features. Mercator says, maybe it's just me, but ESPN Plus is by far the smartest app. It always has the live match I want available as the first or second item in the home screen. I think it's able to tell the teams I generally watch. It always gives me Frankfurt, Bayern, or Madrid, uh, Barca, if they're playing. Always selects and elects matches first as well and suggests my specific college football team in the afternoons. ESPN Plus also pushes their own stuff. I'm always suggested uh, MMA despite never watching. 
and is basically useless for non-live events. I don't even bother trying to watch ESPN FC in, in the ESPN app. I can never find it. I just watch it on Hulu, and Hulu also still seems to be able uh, to get around the local blackouts. I was able to watch an in-market NHL game last week. Peacock is by far the worst. I only watch uh, the Premier League, and I, yeah, I always have to go to the sports tab then scroll three or four times to get to the Premier League hub, but it is indeed 60 frames per second, so I will give it a break for now. So Mercator, you have to give us your secrets about how you get ESPN Plus to be so smart, because as we talked about last week, it's I mean, I, Swansea's my favorite team. Uh, some of those games are on ESPN Plus. It never, hardly ever does it get to the top uh, row to the first or second uh, item. I have to scroll to the right, keep on searching, or go down and find the championship uh, uh, kind of league uh, icon and click on that and then find it. Um, but that's interesting, though, too, Kartik. Anything else you can take from that in terms of what Mercator said about uh, some of the uh, the apps and how they work? That's all. That's all re- really quite quite interesting, and and I've had the same experience where they they know what to recommend for me, um, which is to me pretty significant in terms of uh, ESPN Plus. Having said that, though, too, I, I know Fubo has like so when you log into Fubo, sometimes it asks you like, "Hey, what's your favorite league?" So we can go ahead, favorite team in the league, so that we can go ahead and make sure that your content is, you mean that we you serve it up uh, higher up on the page, and for me. It has, I mean, it has NFL, NBA. I mean, it goes down the list: NHL, etc., um, MLS, Premier League, and then that's it. And I'm like, okay, none of those apply to me. Yes, I do like watching those different leagues, but I don't have any favorite teams in those. And then, so if I'm a fan of the championship, well, not if I if I support a team that's in the championship, which I I do, there's no option for that. So every single time that that uh, question comes up, I usually kind of skip skip try to skip that but it keeps on asking that same question maybe every every few weeks which is kind of irritating on that one jp says uh if espn's algorithm is becoming smarter i haven't seen it yet yes i will also be bombarded on the app on saturday mornings with bundesliga if opening it around 9 a.m eastern i also will be bombarded with multiple college sports if opening it later in the afternoon they just show what they consider the most prominent live events at the time, and there isn't much besides soccer on week- weekend mornings. In every case, what I historically watch more of, which is the Belgian League, is pushed towards the very end of the live or featured scroll. And that and that's what uh, I want to know from Mercator. Like, what's the secret to s- success? Is Mercator watching it on a mobile device or on an app or you know, there's got to be some some uh, reasons why that experience is so different from one user to the to the next and, and same same for you and i Kartik. i think we get different experiences too we also talked about major league soccer last week about uh, the, the uh, push to get uh, a team in las vegas and also uh, i think it was chris's experience about uh, thinking that MLS probably may not do so well in Las Vegas just because you, you always see Liga MX shirts or European soccer shirts in uh, on the Strip. Greg says, you can't judge anything about Las Vegas by just looking at what's on the Strip. My understanding is that locals don't really go there except if friends or relatives are in town. So the jerseys you see are likely more indicative of who's visit- visiting. And it's entirely possible that as with Miami, I lived there for a few years, Certain weeks are heavy on people from certain countries because of tourism packages. Some weeks in South Beach were Germany weeks. 
Some weeks were France weeks. Maybe that week was a big Mexico week or lots of Mexicans from the L.A. area. Uh, or or a uh, foreign foreign tourist week. I doubt those were locals on the strip. Craig Burley on, on the the topic of uh, you mean kind of you and I defending him and what he said about uh, about uh, Chelsea and Man City and, and the FIFA uh, Club World Cup and, and the Premier League and kind of the hierarchy of what's most important to uh, clubs in England. Uh, Dave says I especially like the segment at the end where you, you where you discussed. Craig Burley's argument that the the Premier League is more important than the Club World Cup. Part of the fun of sports is we all value and enjoy different things. Soccer has so many many competitions to root for year-round. We may all have our own hierarchy of what to watch and how to value results. I am aligned with Craig on this topic. Uh, Also, to to echo another commentator, uh, a commenter, Kudos to both you uh, and Kartik on your openness to get uh, talk about multiple perspectives. The internet was a lot more fun when that mindset was more prevalent. And last but not least, we got uh, two uh, pieces of feedback from uh, Chris and RJ about uh, the upcoming World Cup this year. Chris says, hi, guys, I want to give you credit uh, on the new website. It looks great and, e- and is easy to navigate. A few days ago, I talked with a friend who is a casual soccer fan and really watches when the World Cup takes place. One of the big concerns that he discussed with me about this year's World Cup is how Fox is going to cover the tournament while also covering the NFL and college football. With that in mind, my question to either of you is, how do you think Fox will be able to cover the World Cup while also showing NFL and college football? And then RJ says, great job of the show with Qatar 2022 rapidly approaching. Do you have any insight into Fox's plans? Will they be sending crews to Qatar? Any guesses on the play-by-play and analyst teams? So, Kartik, with the World Cup, most of the games, because of the different uh, time zone in the Middle East, most of the games for us in the U.S. on the East Coast, uh, games will begin at 5 a.m. Eastern. So I think it's like 5, 8, um, 10, or maybe 11 and 2. So it goes, actually, I think it goes from 5 a.m. to about 2 p.m. Eastern time. So it's a solid, God, (laughs) nine hours of games. Um, so I think, I mean, I, I think it, to me personally, I mean, in terms of NFL, that could lead right into some NFL broadcasts, especially if it's on a Sunday, uh, college football, that's going to be a little bit difficult in terms of what Fox has the rights to, which, which I don't, I don't even know. Um, but there might be some, some games that will be on say FS2 or FS1. And then, you I mean, the big ones are on, on Fox for, for the world cup. But uh, I guess uh, I, I don't know. It is worrying. I mean, this is something that I think we've been concerned about uh, since they formally moved the World Cup to the winter, right? Yeah. It, it, with Fox's heavy schedule on 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 other things, and and Fox uh, was not heavy into college football when as heavy into college football when they got the World Cup rights as they are now. So uh, it's a big concern. Yeah, and and I guess RJ's question to you about like kind of in terms of insight into Fox's plans, will they be sending crews? Any guesses on the play by play and and all that? A lot of this hinges on the U.S. qualifying for this World Cup because you I mean we've been talking for the last probably two years saying like, hey guys, 
there's no guarantee that the U.S. is going to, is going to qualify for this World Cup. Yes, they have some strong uh, younger stars coming through the system, but it's not a given. We still have to qualify. And, and even at this stage, too, with three more games to go, uh, the U.S. sitting in a pretty good position, but there's still a lot of work to be done. I think it's too early to talk about Fox's plans because if, for some reason, the U.S. did not qualify, Fox would change the, the, their plans completely. Now, if they did qualify, I mean, that changes things, too, in terms of how much budget, how much um, talent they'd be sending over to the Middle East, uh, and how much commitment that they would be. So it, it's it's a risky period to kind of uh, try to I mean, even, even guess what they would do, because they're not even sure themselves, I'm sure. But Kartik, I mean... Talking about all of this, I mean, the big question this week was uh, West McKinney, who got injured uh, in the uh, Juventus Villarreal game, uh, is going to be out for eight to ten weeks with uh, a fractured foot. Uh, I know you're a big fan, but how does that impact this U.S. team? I mean, do you think that, um, I mean, who steps up? I mean, can this team get through the next three games without him? To be honest, Chris, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of his in terms of his play. I, I yeah, I, I'm tired of of, of spending uh, cl- weeks of club football talking about national teams. So I, I don't, I haven't thought about it, quite <laughs> okay. honestly. And I, I, maybe I'll think about it when the March International break rolls around. Maybe I won't, because uh, no, this has become a thing in the U.S. where like every single club match or every single thing that happens from a club perspective in Europe is analyzed through the lens of the U.S. men's yeah. national team. And I'm tired of it. Well, I that, just want to enjoy club football. Yeah, well, that, that that I get, that I get totally. In terms of that, gets tiresome because. I mean, there's a lot of reporters out there that are like, I mean, it could be Chelsea against Liverpool playing this weekend, and it's Christian Pulisic against Liverpool. I'm like, yeah, there's no guarantee he's going to start. Uh, now, more recently, he's been playing better, so yeah, he probably would would get a start. No guarantee, but it's not one individual player who's American. Or if against someone the gets hurt on gets hurt on some team, it's how does it impact this American? Uh, if this guy gets hurt, how does it, it, it? It's it's just it's so tiresome and boring. <laughs> so I I haven't thought about it. Obviously, McKinney, I think is the U.S.'s best player by a pretty wide distance. Uh, so it's going to impact them, but I, I can't think about who steps up. I mean, I, I would assume Kellen Acosta yeah, would be yeah. the first guy you call, um, but, I, but I, I haven't really thought about it, to be honest yeah. with you, until this moment. That's okay. Yeah, I, I mean, and the, the point, and the reason I'm, I ask a question, too, is because not so much about uh, the U.S. men's national team, just because of more so the impact on, on Fox Sports' coverage of the World Cup later this year, uh, which is a shame, too, because you know, if the U.S. qualifies, whether the U.S. qualifies or not, Fox should still give the same level of commitment uh, to covering the, the world's event. Uh, it's not the USA World Cup. It, it, it is the, the World Cup of the, the best teams from around the world. Um, but me personally, I think, yeah, Weston McKinney, to me, has been leading this team on the pitch, uh, has been scoring the big goals, and has been the difference maker. And I, and I even Callum Acosta kind of uh, taken that spot I, is, he's no West McKinney, and I'm I'm worried. I'm really ro- worried because so so interestingly enough, uh, just one U.S. Penn national team note in the midst of all the Ukraine coverage I've been watching on the BBC, they had a uh, a, a scroll on, on their crawl on the BBC World Service World News about uh, Yunus Musa. 
and uh, his uh, his development for for Valencia, and apparently during the sports segment they were doing something on it. Uh, this was uh, earlier in the week. So uh, there is uh, him also who's emerging and, and will probably be a better player come November in the World Cup than he's been uh, in the last six months, right? He, he's a young player who's consistently getting better, and as I said, the BBC has even noticed. I think their angle was that he was a, obviously a British raised you know player that that grew up in England but um so that was interesting I didn't see the feature but it was on the crawl while I'm watching coverage of, of Putin invading Ukraine so um he's getting noticed and he's a midfielder for the U.S. All right, listeners, if so, if you have something to say, something to ask us, uh, we'd love to read your comments out on air. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. So episode 1400 is in the can. Um what you don't know, Kartik, is that we've gotten um, a couple of people to actually share some feedback uh, through audio. So I'll add that to this segment here. But we heard from uh, David Marcy, Statman Marcy, who uh, sent us some uh, audio greetings, and also Morgan Green, uh, who also uh, shared some of his memories of working uh, on the podcast and uh, some of the uh, kind of basically kind of uh, his feelings about hitting that 1,400 milestone mark. So, uh, yeah, so best, definitely uh, check that out. And uh, thanks to Statman Marcy and to Morgan for sharing their thoughts about hitting episode 1,400. Now, Kartik, uh, heading into another weekend, opening weekend for MLS, Big games around Europe, uh, a lot of things happening in the world, uh, as you mentioned. And uh, what are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. Hey, guys. Statman Mossy here. Uh, congratulating you guys on an incredible milestone. 16 years, 1,400 episodes. That is ridiculous. I don't even remember where I was in 2006. Uh, but I am glad that I got to play a small part in this. I remember there was a season in which I came on every week to talk about the Premier League with uh, you guys and Nick Webster and others. I also did an interview with uh, Nate Abureya once. I'm not sure if that counts towards this tally, but uh, nevertheless, uh, congrats again. Keep up the great work. I'm sure you guys are going to keep doing this for many, many more years. Hey, Gaffer, congratulations on 1,400 episodes of the World Soccer Talk podcast. That is a heck of a number when you really think about it. And personally, I am very proud and very honored to have been a part of just a few of those episodes myself. I had so much fun doing the podcast, uh, just everything that went into it from the production angle getting multiple guys together on multiple continents and through multiple time zones all to put out a product that we were all very proud of and that is still going today and going strong it's uh, something that still warms my heart it was some of the most fun I've ever had uh, not just in sports media but watching soccer and being around fellow soccer lovers uh, like Kartik and Chris and Lawrence and Matt. Um, so just wanted to say thank you so much for allowing me to be part of the history of the World Soccer Talk pod. And uh, here's to 1,400 more. Congratulations. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.